Scripture today comes from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Listen now that by faith we might hear God's word for us this morning. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning I want to talk to you about three stones, rocks, not literal rocks, but metaphorical rocks, rocks meant to symbolize events and times and challenges in our lives. These are rocks upon which we might stub our toes, that might give us pain, that might slow us down. But they're also rocks that teach us about the world. They show us what's important. They define for us the things on which we can rely. Then other stones become examples about how we might live, what we might do, what we might hold dear. Types of rocks I have in mind have been talked about for thousands of years, and they help us to understand the nature of God, how he works in our lives, how we understand crises like natural disasters, illnesses, losses. These rocks may also help clarify why a Messiah is born to a virgin in a manger, and even how we are to review our lives and our faith. First rock I want to introduce you to is a stumbling block. The idea of stumbling blocks is defined to us early in the Old Testament. The words as written in the original Hebrew are literal rocks, but they're also metaphors for life's challenges, injuries, setbacks. From the ancient times, people have recognized that the world places in our path events, circumstances, challenges that cause us to stumble. We trip over them. They appear as hindrances. They damage us. They result in complications for our lives illness, injury, even death. The prophet Jeremiah, writing at the time of the fall of Jerusalem before the exile, refers to these stumbling blocks repetitively with the phrase sword and famine, plague. The sword refers to war, the injuries and the loss that happen when people intentionally kill and injure each other. Famine refers to acts of nature, the stumbling blocks of earthquakes, storms, starvation, floods, all of which seem to emanate from the very earth itself. Plagues refer to the stumbling blocks of illness, the weakness and frailty of our physical bodies, making us susceptible to infections and aging and disease. So in the Old Testament, the concept of stumbling blocks was defined by injury from attacks from other people, suffering due to natural causes, and the ever-present threat of physical illness. Do you think that these stumbling blocks are still around today? By the time of the New Testament, the concept of stumbling blocks has expanded now to include not only the Old Testament types of challenges, but they expand the metaphor to spiritual challenges. Stumbling blocks in the New Testament refer not only to injury and illness, but also to weakness of faith, shallowness of belief, failure to rely on God. Jesus warned specifically of behaving such that we might be a stumbling block to children, the danger and gravity of being such a hindrance. From the time of the exile until the first century AD, the Jews had been anxiously and expectantly waiting for the arrival of their Savior, their Messiah. 400 years of waiting, expecting, and hoping, like Beth explained to us this morning. 
The Old Testament prophecies had many references to this Messiah who was to come to redeem Israel, to vanquish its enemies, to return it to its former glories as in the days of David and Solomon. The Old Testament prophets, Isaiah and Micah and others, had spoken clearly about this coming Messiah. The Jews had been oppressed by the Babylonians, then the Greeks, now the Romans. They had struggled valiantly against their persecutors, but they were never able to overcome them. And so they longed for this foretold new leader who would spring from their midst. The picture they held in their minds of this leader would be a man born of royalty, raised to be a leader from childhood, educated in the finest Jewish traditions, brave and charismatic like David, wise and successful like Solomon. This long-awaited Messiah would be obvious to everyone, a clear answer to centuries of prayer and anticipation. But into this mindset of anticipation and hope, Jesus appears. And with his family history, even before his birth, we encounter stumbling blocks. All during Advent and on Christmas Eve, we heard again the story of this unlikely and even incredible birth. Jesus is indeed from the family of David, a royal lineage. But these are some poor relations. His parents were from a backwood village, not famous for anything. Joseph and Mary are not royalty, but at best, blue-collar citizens. He's born not in the capital city of Jerusalem, but in Bethlehem, a small village nearby. His birth and his circumstances could hardly be more humble. Not even in the civilized house was he born, but outside with animals. Anyone examining his birth and family history would have a very hard time making the case that this was the Messiah of the Jewish people. The enthusiasm of the local shepherds was of interest, but shepherds were at the bottom of the social ladder. They were held mainly in contempt because of their lowly work status. The appearance of the angels and later of the wise men seemed to point to the birth of someone more significant, but the whole scene of his birth was a stumbling block to anyone who was trying to make sense of Jesus as the Messiah they had been expecting. This whole theme of the unlikely Messiah continues the remainder of Jesus' life. As a preacher in Galilee, he would be continually confronted by better trained preachers and teachers, demanding to know why he should be taken seriously. With his unimpressive resume, his lack of experience and training, local people repetitively noted that he was from a very middle-class background with no social status or education. People who listened to him often commented on how he spoke with authority, but it was unclear to them from where this authority came. It was a stumbling block for the early believers in the church. Paul describes it this way. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So in the time of Jesus' year, years on birth, he lives in a world of stumbling blocks. The confusion about a Messiah who did not fit the preconceived criteria the Jews had in mind for their Christ. These were stumbling blocks too great for many to deal with. It was easy to reject this unlikely Messiah, born in a major with no crib for a bed. And yet... 
And yet when the scriptures were consulted, it became clear that the stumbling blocks had actually been anticipated for many years, centuries before Jesus' birth. In the Psalms, in several places, the writers make note that what have been a stumbling block at one time, God used in some way to become not only useful, but a critical part of the fabric of their lives, the faith, the people, the buildings, and the communities. The term that the Psalm writers used to describe this important rock was cornerstones, a large, important, carefully dressed base for the building of walls. The idea of a stone being transformed from a hindrance, an offense, an injury into an important foundational element was not new to Jewish thinking. And then the New Testament writers picked up this theme quickly. Peter takes the analogy further, acknowledging that Jesus is the cornerstone, the foundation, the unexpected transformation of a stumbling block into the foundational stone. Peter writes it this way. As you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a spiritual holy priesthood to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, here Peter quotes an old psalm, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so the New Testament writers, the apostles who had known Jesus personally, and they themselves being the cornerstones of his new church, took to heart this idea of living stones, breathing human beings who are now part of this new church, this new faith. The New Testament writers expand that idea that each of us has a part to play, a role to enact in our world, becoming living stones, vital pieces in the fabric of our world. Paul understood this building, this holy temple of the Lord, to be Christ's church, a church like the ones he had been founding and nurturing for years. For the early followers of Jesus, it was a very natural progression to see Jesus as a stumbling block, foolishness to Gentiles and confusing to the Jews, but then transformed into the cornerstone, the foundational building block of a church on which would be the laid, laid the lives of living stones, the lives of those who would follow Jesus for the years, the centuries, the millennia to come. As we often ask on Sunday morning, so what? What does this have to do with our lives, the way we handle circumstances, the way we deal with people? Consider this. What if the problems that we face, the wars, either literal or figurative, that we've been engaged in, the natural disasters that we have faced, the illnesses and sickness, even death, that we've observed? What if these stumbling blocks, these offenses that might normally be expected to weaken our faith or shake the foundations of our belief, what if they could be transformed into cornerstones? What if after we have dealt with grief and loss and sadness, we look back on those events and learn to see God's hand in our lives then, trying to sense the power and the effectiveness of Jesus' love that carried, through, carried us through those times? What if then those stumbling blocks, to build, we use them to build on or to add to the foundation of what we understand our faith to be going forward? And then after changing those stumbling blocks into cornerstones, what if then we became living stones, living, breathing people transformed by our experiences to become important parts 
of Christ Church in this place. I would suggest to you that this does not happen rarely, but rather frequently, because I've seen it both in my life and the lives of friends and family. Events that seem unlikely, even absurd, like messiahs in stables, like hurricanes, like floods and pandemics, like illness, even like the death of loved ones, might be not stumbling blocks, but cornerstones. In fact, we might even go, to say, go so far as to say that this is common, even a routine way that God uses the trials and tribulations of a broken world to reorient our thinking, to redefine what are challenges and what are opportunities. Nearly everyone I know has stories of stumbling blocks, some in the very distant past, some happening today. And at some point in their lives, they can see looking back the hand of God on them and on their families and on their communities. There can be great healing, great peace, and great faith that flows from this kind of perspective. A worldview that acknowledges that this is a broken world. War and famine and plagues and even pandemics may come, will come. And we may not minimize these problems, these troubles. They're devastating. They break our hearts. They change our lives. But we can when our fear and our pain and our suffering have softened, carefully and deliberately examine these events in the days and months and years that follow them. We can learn to understand what other forces are at work, how God has provided and supported and healed and comforted. You and I can look back on the stories of Scripture, seeing how God has used the miracle of creation, the pain and wonder of the exodus, the shame of the exile, Use them all to prepare our world for the coming of the Messiah. We can, with our backward-looking lens, see how the stumbling block and the foolishness of a Savior born to modest conditions in a modest family will be used by God to change the world. I want to close today with another psalm, Psalm 119. This is a very, very long psalm, which has a variety of phrases to remind us how we look to God to understand our world. The psalm talks about oppression and danger, mistakes that we've made, and how we can look to God to see our way through these stumbling blocks. This is verse 119. Let's go ahead and put that one up, Noah. It is good for me that I was humbled, says the psalmist, so that I might learn your statutes. This sounds pretty straightforward, but when you actually look at the Hebrew, it's a little, a little thicker, a little more uh, deep. When we dig into the translation from the original Hebrew, there's a richness to the words that does not translate easily into English. Tov means good, but not just good, joyfully valuable. Humbled means laid low, but not just laid low, but specifically wretchedly suffering. And choke means not God's laws, just his laws, but his regulation, his control over the entire world, his hand on the universe. It's the same word that's even used to describe God uh, organizing the courses of the stars in the sky. And so we might translate this verse into a modern-day understanding. Lord, now I can see that my wretched suffering taught me to joyfully valuable lessons about who you are and what my place is in this world. It's painful to trip over a stumbling block. It's surprising. It's humiliating. But with the passage of time and God's grace and mercy, healing and peace and perspective come. If we watch carefully, we'll see how stumbling blocks are transformed into cornerstones of our faith. 
our challenge, our duty, our joy will be to understand these stories in our own lives and become breathing stones, living lives in which Jesus is cornerstone and then serving in our own lives as living stones in his church, looking for ways that Christ calls us to be a blessing to those who are experiencing their own stumbling blocks in life. Let's pray. Father God, we know that in this world we will face our own stumbling blocks. The trials and challenges of life will come. We will face illness and pandemics, loss and pain, even death. But now we pray that you would, as you have always done, transform the stumbling blocks we endure into cornerstones, solid and reliable foundations for our faith. And then we ask that you transform us into living stones, taking that faith, using it to build your church and to be the face of Christ to all that we meet. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people in one voice said, Amen. Amen.